Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinny Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you've never opened the Bible or read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be the day of darkness. Let's begin in Joel chapter 2. In Joel chapter 2, beginning in the first verse, it says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong. There have not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people shall be much pained, all faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men, they shall climb the wall like men of war, and they shall march every one on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one trust another, they shall walk every one in his path, and when they fall upon the sword, They shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark, and their stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Today, we find ourselves in a day of thick darkness and gloominess. This is a day when fear and desolation and pain have taken a hold of people's lives and their hearts. Darkness is defined as a noun, meaning absence of light, obscurity, want of clearness, the quality or state which renders anything difficult to be understood a state of being, intellectually clouded, ignorance, great trouble and distress, calamities, perplexities. This sums up the day that we live in. According to Strong's Concordance, the Hebrew word for darkness is kashek, which means misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, and wickedness. The word kashek is derived from the word kwashok, which means to be or grow dark to withhold light, to cause darkness, 
to hide. The darkness that we find present all around us in the world today is not a normal darkness. It doesn't originate naturally. This darkness is being caused. It's being perpetrated on the world today. The light is being withheld and being hidden away, out of sight. It's not only the devil and the world that are causing this darkness to come upon the world. The church is complicit in it. At the time when people needed them most, churches all around the nation and all around the world closed their doors at the orders of the world. When the people greatly needed faith, churches chose to be fearful instead. We live in a time and a place here in America where there is freedom of religion. The church is free. Since these are the circumstances, the world can never fully withhold light from people unless the church willingly consents to go along with them. Churches have made this choice. They have hid their light under a bushel, and it's not shining forth. We can't be surprised at the chaos that we see going on in the world around us. How can we expect to find hope and joy and peace and love in a place where the word of God is not preached? Where the word of God is lacking, all these other things will be lacking also. These are all gifts from God. They're spiritual, and they have no other source. The failure of the church to preach the word of God is withholding the light. Withholding the light naturally causes darkness because the absence of light is by definition darkness. Christians need to stop blaming the world for the darkness that we find around us. The world's playbook doesn't change. We can't expect anything different from them. They are always going to do as they have always done. God didn't call the world to be the light. He called us to be the light. We are expecting light from those who only possess darkness. It is our light shining that is supposed to draw them forth out of the darkness and into the light. We need to understand that we don't control the world, but as Christians we do control the church. As Christians we are each a member of the body of Christ, and we all have a say in the trajectory of the church as a whole. Before we can do anything to help or change what's going on in the world today, we need to take stock of what is going on amongst ourselves. We need to do some in-house cleaning and repairs. 1 Peter 4 and 17 says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? God is the judge, and he is judging his own house before he does those outside of his house. As the body of Christ, we are commanded in Matthew 7 and 1, Judge not that ye be not judged. We are not to judge the world. That's not our place. They hold themselves to a very different set of standards, and they have a very different understanding of what they consider to be truth. Since we're in such a different position, we need to leave judgment to God and trust that he will do justice in his perfect timing. It's our job as the church to take stock amongst ourselves and correct ourselves. We judge one another in the faith because we hold ourselves to the same standards and same accountability. Let's go to the book of Amos, chapter 8. In Amos, chapter 8, beginning in the ninth verse, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day, and I will turn your feasts into mourning, and all your songs into lamentation. And I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins, and baldness upon every head. 
and I will make it as the morning of an only sun, and the end thereof as a bitter day. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. In that day shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. The lack of preaching of the word of God has caused there to be a famine of the word of God in the land. The word of the Lord is not being heard by the people. This has serious spiritual consequences that we have to consider. Since the word is not being preached, it isn't being heard. And since it's not being heard, faith is not being produced in people's lives. We know this because Romans 10 and 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Where the word of God is heard, it always produces faith. We should not be surprised when we find everyone choosing fear over faith. This famine has created a spiritual vacuum. In the midst of this vacuum, we've seen the enemy come in and fill it with darkness. He's immersing the world in darkness. For a lot of people, the only words that they're hearing right now are those of the devil. And since people are desperate for anything resembling spirituality, they allow the enemy's words to go into their spirit and become a part of their life. The same way faith is always produced when a person hears the word of God spoken, fear is always produced when a person hears the words of the enemy spoken. This is because fear by definition is the absence of faith. This famine was caused by the church withholding light from the people. All the fear and the chaos and destruction being produced by those who have listened to the lies of the enemy cannot be completely blamed on the world. Part of the blame needs to be rightly placed on the church because they willingly chose to withhold the word. There's evidence of this famine all around us. It's clear in the misery and hopelessness and discouragement that we find so pervasive in our world today. Joel chapter 1 verses 10 to 13 says, The field is wasted, the land mourneth, for the corn is wasted, the new wine is dried up, the oil languisheth. Be ye ashamed, O ye husbandmen, howl, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished, the vine is dried up, and the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. Even all the trees of the field are withered, because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Gird yourselves, and lament, ye priests, howl, ye ministers of the altar. Come lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. It would appear to the natural eye that the famine and the darkness is destroying the harvest that we've always been seeking. But we must take a closer look at what is really going on. We are the husbandmen. And we are the vine dressers. It's our job as the church to care for the field. It's our job to plant seeds and cultivate the ground so that the seeds produce when the harvest comes. The church should be ashamed because they're not fulfilling their role. They're not planting seeds. They're not cultivating the land. And because of that, the seeds aren't producing. Luke 8.11 says, The seed is the word of God. If we expect a harvest, we need to first plant seed. If we expect to see revival, we need to continue preaching the word. We need to stay diligent and take our mission seriously. Isaiah 55 and 11 
says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. We need to trust that God will keep his promise, that the word will produce if it is sent. We are the messengers of God, and he uses us to send his word. This is a very important role, and we must stay active in doing it, even in the midst of the famine and the darkness. Luke 9.62 says, And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. We're commanded to keep sowing seeds and to keep plowing no matter what. Many Christians have looked back. They left the plow in the field and they walked away. They forsook their work in the harvest of the Lord, and we are seeing the effects and the ramifications of this today. Everything is now dried up. It's withered away. Joy is absent from people's hearts. Although the dryness we see around us can be disheartening, and it is, we can't allow this to deter us from our work. This is when we see the reality of Matthew 9 and 37, which says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. And right now, the laborers are few. There's not many people doing what the Lord has told them to do. Matthew 9 and 38 goes on to say, Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. This prayer is necessary for the days that we live in, and the work that we are called to do is desperately needed. The darkness and dryness seems bad, but they actually present us with very unique opportunities. Where there is more darkness, the light becomes more noticeable. And when there is more dryness, fire is the most easily kindled. We need the fire of God to come down. We are in the day of thick darkness, but it's the day of great darkness that leads to the day of great revival. If you're out rowing a boat in the middle of the night, you're surrounded by darkness, and it doesn't feel like you're making any progress. But if you stay faithful and keep rowing, when the sun comes up, you'll see that you're closer to the shore. The same is true in the work of the Lord. Even in the midst of the thick darkness, when it seems like nothing we do will ever make any difference, we must stay faithful and diligent in sowing seeds, because when the sun comes up and the great day of revival arrives, we will see the fruit that our seeds produced. The Lord is giving us more time to sow more seeds. The key is faithfulness. While we work, we must remember that it is great darkness that produces great harvest. Amos chapter 5, verses 17 through 20 says, And in all vineyards shall be wailing, for I will pass through thee, saith the Lord. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light, as if a man did flee from a lion, and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark, and no brightness in it? This is the day that we live in, very dark times but we can help and change that. The state of the church is not good. We're headed in the wrong direction, and things will only get worse if nothing changes. This is where we come in as the people of God. God is a God of mercy and of grace, but we need to do something. We need to act. God will change what is meant for evil into something good, but he is waiting for us to take action and to take initiative. Amos 5 and 24 says, but let judgment run down as waters, 
and righteousness as a mighty stream. Judgment is happening now. That's what we see going on around us. But righteousness will follow after. Frank Bartleman once said, A revival almost always begins among the laity. The ecclesiastical leaders seldom welcome reformation. History repeats itself. The present leaders are too comfortably situated, as a rule, to desire innovation that might require sacrifice on their part. And God's fire only falls on sacrifice. An empty altar receives no fire. Revivals are almost always preceded by very dark and very dry times. But it's those very times that make the fields of the Lord ripe for the harvest. It's our job to put forth a sacrifice if we want God's fire to come down. God can't bless nothing. We have to first put something on the altar if we expect God to bless it and to consume it in his Holy Ghost fire. We have an important role to play in the restoration and the revival of the church, but we need to learn what our job is, and the first step is sacrifice. Let's go back to Joel chapter 2. In Joel chapter 2, beginning in the 11th verse, it says, And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repent of him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent, and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, and those that suck the breasts. Let the bridegroom go forth out of his chamber, and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his land, and pity his people. God is showing us in this passage what role we can play in making things better. We see four things that we must do. The first, as we saw before, is sacrifice. This is absolutely necessary if we are to see revival. Seeing a great move of God in our time will cost us something, but the cost will be nothing compared to the fruit that will be produced by the sacrifice. The next thing is we need to turn back to the Lord. We need to set our minds upon him. We need to prioritize him over everything else in our lives. We need to spend time and put forth the effort to grow deeper with the Lord and to study his word. The main ways that we turn back to him is by our worship and by our love for him, which is demonstrated not just in talk, but more importantly, in action. The third thing is especially important for these days, and that's gathering and assembling together. Hebrews 10 and 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We see people forsaking the assembly like never before. 
Our gathering is meant to be fellowship as the body of Christ, a time when we get built up in faith, and it's our most intimate time between us and our fellow believers in God. This verse is a command. It's not a suggestion, and it's not optional. There's no footnote that says this verse can be ignored in 2020 or 2021. This command is applicable to all times and to all places, especially in the time that we're living in now. We have to be together. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I am in the midst of them. There's power in our unity. If the church would truly unite in real faith, there would be no power in hell strong enough to stop us from what we set our minds to do. Fear wouldn't be able to survive in that type of environment. We must take seriously the charge to gather together, and we must make every effort to do so. If we don't have time to do so, we need to make time. The last thing that we need to do is to call on the name of the Lord. Many times the best prayer is to simply say the name of Jesus from a sincere and a longing heart. When we need saving, all we need to do is call on Jesus. Because Romans 10 and 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Joel 2 and 32 says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be a deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. When we do this, God will save us out of the thick darkness. We are called as heritage in this passage. Heritage is defined as a noun, meaning the saints or people of God, claimed by God as objects of his special care. Part of our inheritance as heirs and joint heirs of Christ is that he has promised to deliver us from the day of darkness. When we do these four things, verse 18 tells us, then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. It's time for us to let our light shine. We can no longer withhold it. The worst part of withholding the light is that it keeps people away from Jesus and from having a relationship with him because Jesus is the light. We need to usher in the light by preaching Jesus to those who are still in darkness. The enemy, the world, and even the church may be causing darkness to be upon the earth. But we as the people of God can change this. We can be the ones to cause there to be light because we serve the God who said, let there be light and there was. Let's make the choice to lay our sacrifice on the altar so that the Lord will send a fire down that will light up this world. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The days that we live in now may be filled with thick darkness, but we have better and brighter days ahead. Joel 2 and 21 promises us, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord God. And we thank you that even though we find ourselves to be in this day of darkness, a day where hurt and misery and pain and depression and fear have gripped people's hearts and taken a hold of their lives, that you have not left that to be our inheritance, but that you have given us a heritage and an inheritance that is beyond what we could ever imagine or dream of, Lord God. You have given us hope and love and peace in the midst of the storm, Lord God, and we thank you that even in the midst of this time that you have set us apart to be your servants, to be your laborers in the field of your harvest. And we thank you for the harvest that is on its way and the deliverance that is going to be upon our land all across the world. 
And Lord, no matter what country we're in, no matter where in the world we are, Lord God, we thank you that in our land we're going to see revival coming for our people, for the body of Christ to be strengthened. And we thank you, Lord, that this is coming. And have pity on your people, Lord God, and save our land. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to be a laborer in the Lord's harvest and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. If you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you would like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. And if you would like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We also appreciate if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.